Welcome to the party. Bong bong. Oh man. I went for a run tonight and let me tell you this. I have turned into an absolute piece of shit. Man, I got home. I'm like, I'm like trying, you know how they, they tell you not to put your hands on your knees and shit. I'm sitting there. I'm like, I'm so thirsty to put my hands on my knees and like just collapse. And I just didn't do it. I, I stayed mentally strong, right? But then when I got in the shower, man, I was so tired. I just kept coughing and like sputtering. And um, shit, I thought I was, I literally thought I was going to be sick. I thought I was going to be sick. I haven't felt like that. Like, shit. I don't know. I haven't felt like that in about five years, man. Oh, you weren't, you haven't been working hard enough then in preseason. Nah, son, I've been fit. I just always been fit. And then, then I quit and I've just been, I've been sort of chilling for like the first time in my life. And, um, man, I swear to God, I, oh, I felt in bad shape. Man, I'm telling you, I only went for like a, like a two, two, three K run. That was foul, bro. Oh, but I feel good now. I had some, uh, I had like a healthy type of dinner and all this. Um, man, it's, it's nighttime right now. Kind of feel like a coffee. Um, but you know, don't want to be up all night. I do have, do have a little bit of work to do here with, uh, uh, money make Mitch. Uh, to make sure that all you guys get get your uh, your weekly, well, well, it's actually twice per week you get a podcast because I'm spoiling you, my little Stewies. You are my Stewies, and I am your professor, old Professor McMath, PhD of podcasting, back again to let you cats know that it is what it is, and it ain't what it ain't. But did you guys see this Starbucks shit? I've been seeing a lot of like boycott Starbucks, boycott Starbucks. I get it. Racial tension, sensitive times. Starbucks didn't decide to be a racist uh, barista though, you know? Starbucks doesn't go out of their way to hire racist baristas. I've been to Starbucks in New York like 500 times and it's like all black people in there. So, and I mean working and and buying. So it's not Starbucks, man. Starbucks isn't the racist. They hired one racist dude that saw a couple of cats sitting there. They didn't buy anything yet. And, and he called the cops. Check this out. Starbucks is like the, the spot where you meet up. Um, Oh, you want to go catch that movie at uh, 3.30? Yeah, um, I'll meet you at the Starbucks on 75th and 18th. Yeah, bung bung. Now, that's the meeting spot. These dudes, check this out. And this is so um, opposite of what this fucking clown uh, employee thought. These cats were waiting at Starbucks to meet someone to discuss uh, investment opportunities with. <laughs> 
What do you think? What do you think? He was just waiting there for his time to like pull out the strap. He was going to rob the place. Let me tell you this. If I'm robbing a place, I'm not going to sit in there for fucking 20 minutes beforehand. I'm pulling down my ski mask as I walk in the door. You know, there's cameras everywhere. Going to sit in there for 20 minutes so you can get a good look at my face before I rob the place. What are you talking? It was obviously straight up racist move. I don't think nobody needs to boycott Starbucks for it. Starbucks didn't make that decision. An individual made that decision. Yes, it looks bad for Starbucks, but Starbucks, that's clearly not what the fucking company stands for. Hey, I don't know why I'm backing up Starbucks to begin with. They make shitty fucking coffee and I don't want to shop there anyway. I was there with Corey, friend of the show, Corey Maynard. We had, a Starbucks was like the only thing now a hotel in LA and we had to go there for breakfast every day and it was trash. Their coffee was trash. Their fucking food was trash. It was trash. It's garbage. It was garbage, man. You don't want Starbucks. But it's not because of them being racist. They're not racist. They hired a racist. Have I said the same thing enough times for you to understand where I'm coming from? Jesus, Clay. Don't put me on your debating team. I'll stand up there. How much time do you get on debating team? I don't know, but you... You would, I'll be standing there just saying the same shit for like whatever, like five minutes. They're not racist. They hired a racist person. They're not racist. They hired a racist person. They're not racist. They hired a racist person for five minutes. That's all I'd be doing. <sighs> shit. Um, and uh, so also Trump. The USA, the big bullies. Are they the bullies? See, here's, here's where where I don't understand this. So, why did the USA order a strike on Syria? Because Syria's, because of that chemical attack that Syria did, right? Okay, so you press the big red button, not the big red button, but like the medium-sized red button, you airstrike these cats. You kill a bunch of civilians in the process. Um, and, you know, you can still sleep at night because you're Donald Trump and you're a piece as well, right? But do you think, first of all, is the USA like the big brother of whoever that needs to go and protect cats? Many would say yes, but... For your own, you know, let people have their their battles and just keep to yourself, no? Why is there still wars anyway? Gifts the oil. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, because of money, Clay. Money's not a real thing though, right? Money's supposed to be backed by gold, right? But there's... More money than there is gold. So that doesn't make sense. Like, I can't go down that rabbit hole right now. Because this episode is not about that. But here's what I say. Like like if the USA is going to go and try and like. Have people's backs and like punish cats for what. For their stupid shit. What you think no one's going to retaliate. You don't think that there's US citizens that is like. Of Syrian descent that might be like radical. That might um, poison the food supply. 
that might uh, poison the water supply, that might um, start mailing anthrax or bombs and shit. Do you know what I mean? Like, you don't think there's going to be any repercussions for, for like, thinking that you're the big man on campus? Cats is going to start rooting for the, the underdog. Rudy, Rudy, Rudy. It's a classic story, man. I don't know. I don't think it's a smart move. But hey, I let me reiterate that I don't... I'm no political correspondent. I know damn near nothing about global politics. But what I do know is that that strike was not the end of what's about to happen. Russia already warned you. You know? And, um... Maybe I need to do some more research before I talk about this shit so I can go in depth about it like I did with the Facebook shit. By the way, Moneymaker Mitch forwarded me an email today that that I got some positive feedback for my Facebook information. Um, Hey, hey, uh, I'm not going to claim I'm a genius. I'm a doctor, but um, I... uh, Hey, I'd, I'd call that a lucky, uh, a lucky coincidence. And we'll see what happens uh, the next time I decide that I'm going to spend 30 minutes explaining something to you guys. But I, I did enjoy that email and thank you to, I didn't write down their name, but thank you to whoever sent that in. Appreciate the love. Tell a friend to tell a friend. That's all I've got to say. All you need to do is tell a friend to tell a friend. Spread the word. Grow the cult. And soon enough, we will drink the poison Kool-Aid together. Um, that would, like... That's just a turn of phrase, though. <laughs> Man, I'm trying to get this party going bro i'm having so much fun doing this shit people are starting to engage more money making mitch is sending me tweets emails fucking um cats are commenting on the pictures and all this money making mitch said he needs an assistant i told money making mitch to calm his fucking farm because this is only the beginning i hate that i hate that how about when like you're watching like, um, what's a TV series? Scandal, right? You're watching Scandal. Some wild shit happens in the finale of season three. And season four starts to advertise like six months later. And they're like, like, remember when what's her face did this to what's his name? That was only the beginning. What? What do you mean? Episode 30 was only the beginning. But now I understand. Because Moneymaker Mitch thinks he needs an assistant. But this is only the beginning. And it's episode 34 of Welcome to the Potty. Bung. Bung. Man, let me get into this, man. I, um, today have got a phenomenal guest. This conversation, I felt like I knew this man as soon as he picked up the phone. Right. I just, it just clicked. We was going back and forth, back and forth, like, like a game of tennis, bro. 
this shit was dope. Um, little bit of uh, uh, backstory here is uh, this this guy. He is the director of a movie, Beach Pillows, um, and a, and a movie coming out soon, coming this summer. Um, no, I'm not sure when it's coming, but uh, Donga. Uh, all of the information will be uh, in the the episode description, so make sure you read that. Money making Mitch will have links and all sorts of shit in there, like he always does. Um, man, this guy, Sean Hartophilus, uh, awesome guy, interesting guy. There was I tried to do all my research and shit, and um, I found out some bits and pieces, but then there was some surprises that came into the mix. And it was so interesting. Um, and the subject matter is something that I'm also very passionate about as a, um, what do they call them? Filmophiles? Something like that. I don't want to fuck movies, but um, I like to watch as many movies as possible. If I could, I would, um, I would aim to watch every movie ever made before I die. But I'd have to give up work, sport, the party. Never. I'll never, ever give up on my stewies, my students uh, of the podcast game. Um, you're, all, you're all starting to increase your grades with this, this sharing and caring and telling a friend to tell a friend. And I love you for it, but I need you to listen real close while you learn about my guest, Sean Hartoffelis. And a dangerous mind. Hey man, how's it going? Hey, how are you? I'm well. I'm encouraged by the connection so far. Yes, I'm back in Australia and everything is working smoothly. I've done a few interviews since... uh, since returning, everything's been fine. So hopefully, we don't have any more. Busy guy. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to. Um, I'm really trying to do this, man. I'm. I'm tired of the nine to five life, and. Um, I mean, I used to be an athlete, so I. I was just sort of on on that schedule, and now I'm doing this nine to five, and it's. It's uh. It's not quite what I what I uh, had in mind. So I'm trying to trying to do this now. I hear you, man. Well, I applaud you. Keep it up. Uh... You gotta get it. I, I do a nine to five too, and um, I guess I share your sentiment. And uh, but uh, you and I was an athlete as well. What did you uh, did you play soccer or something? I played basketball. Oh, cool. Yeah, so I went to um, Bryant University in Smithfield. So that's why my Twitter um, said Smithfield when when we first got in contact. Gotcha. And um, and then I went and I played pro for a few years after that. And um, I'd just been away from home for so long. And I just thought it's time to come home, be around my parents and brothers and stuff again. Uh, um, and yeah, but I saw that you, uh, you, you played professional lacrosse. Is that true? I did. I played professional lacrosse for a summer when I lived in L.A. LA for three years after college. I think the last year I lived there, I decided to play. Um, yeah, so I, I played lacrosse in college at a you know at a high level. We won a national championship, and um, 
And then I, I do want to, I, I honestly want to hear more about you, but uh, <laughs> I, um, I don't want to mess up your, your pod here. Um, so yeah, I played in college lacrosse at Princeton, and then uh, I played for the LA Riptide for one summer. It was kind of an expansion team. The league is um, at that point has been just the East Coast and uh, like kind of lacrosse in general, but since it's it spread uh, across the United States and stuff like that. But um, what? So yeah, I did play for a summer, and that was fun. You know, I played a, I played a lot of sports growing up, and um, that yeah, you know, we can talk about that as much or as little as you want, I guess. <laughs> how much, uh, how much money's in professional lacrosse? If you don't mind me asking. None. None. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know, we made like uh, maybe seven hundred bucks a game. We played once a week yeah. during the summer, so you made like yeah five seven hundred bucks. Um, so do you wait, wait? Do you know I'm I'm blanking on the guy's name, but that guy from the Cavs from Australia, or used to be on the Cavs, now it's bounced around. But uh, yeah, yeah Delavadova. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we've got this uh, this place over here called the Australian Institute of Sport, um, okay. and that's like you sort of um, they sort of scout you when you're young, um, when they see see potential in you, and you go and you live there full time. Um, yeah, and is this noisy by the way? Because I am in fact cooking. Yeah, yeah, it is a bit noisy, but that's that's fine. Okay. Go ahead and uh, get I'll, get your food I'll together. I'll mitigate it every way I can. I will. Yeah, that's all right. Um, yeah, so I uh, I lived there for for a year, and um, uh, yeah, Delhi was there at the same time as me. We were there um, the year just after Patty Mills. Uh-huh. Yeah. Dude, so cool. How tall are you? I'm six seven. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you could play just about any position. Um, yeah, I was a bit of a right. bit of a tweener, and I'm not like I'm not like real solid. I'm like pretty um, slim all the way down. So it's, it just depends on who I'm matched up against, really, as to which position I'm going to play. Yeah, that's. What, I mean, basketball has become positionless, is what a lot of guys say, and I, it seems that way watching it. Yeah, absolutely. Because everyone everyone just wants to shoot threes now. I know, dude. It's so different. Yeah, but we um we had that. You know that real, um, I guess, famous Duke lacrosse coach. Yeah. Yeah. So oh, wait. Okay. So you went to Brian. I, I was like gathering myself. Yeah. So the Mike Pressler. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So he came over and um, our our lacrosse team just turned into a yeah. powerhouse. Dude. Yeah. Well, Pressler coached my two older brothers at Duke, Nick and Chris. Oh. Okay. Um, so he coached them, and then after they left, like a you know. A bunch of years after they left, it was actually after I was out of college. Um, Duke had that whole scandal, yeah, which was, of course, a false accusation, and you know these kids had their lives screwed up, and that coach got kicked out um, for for basically sticking up for the kids. Um, so it was a crazy story, but it was nice to see that he turned up at Bryant, which I think it was his um, alma mater, and of course did great there. So yeah, he's he's a great guy. My brother's. Are fond of him. He's, a, you know, he's an intense. Uh, I don't know what kind of. You call him a disciplinarian, but his teams are very tough. He liked a big physical team. Yeah, but they, <laughs> so. they all, they all loved him. So, I guess right, he, right. Yep. he develops pretty good um, relationships with with his players. For sure. Did you um? So you, what do you do? You're nine to five. I work with my brother Mike. Um, my younger brother Mike, we uh, 
recently launched this security app. It's called Howl. So it's like a, it, it integrates with Amazon Alexa and Google Homes. It's voice activated security response, and it you know sends alerts to your pack, who's you know more likely to get to you quickly, which is you know family, friends, neighbors, coworkers. So that's kind of the idea, and um, yeah. So we're just like launching that and. Um, getting it out and making people aware of it. And, and I shot a commercial for it with Jeffrey uh, Arend, who's in Beach Pillows, um, who's the lead in Beach Pillows. Um, and, yeah, so we're just, like, pushing that right now. Oh, and, okay. Yeah, I, I do a lot of stuff, but that's the 9 to 5. <laughs> How long has that been uh, in development? The app, like, maybe a, a year and a half in earnest. Um, yeah, so a year and a half we've been working on it and kind of got it, on, uh, into the app store for iOS for iPhones in like February, I think, and then we just got on Android a couple of weeks ago. You know, we got the skills on Google Home and Alexa, and uh, yeah, it's about pushing it, like you know, in a bunch of different ways. But uh, yeah, I, I definitely it's it's a free app, so I definitely believe in it and that it will um, kind of bring a security solution to people that, who've been underserved and overlooked, like. Um, you know, people living in cities, apartments, college kids, um, you know, it works kind of mobily. So couldn't be more thrilled about the idea, but I won't, I won't sit here and pitch you. Um, but, uh, yeah, high hopes on that one. It sounds good because I think, um, there's a lot of money in apps and there's also like a big, it's almost like a security boom at the moment. Yeah. Well, I don't, yeah, I mean, maybe sad to say, but. Yeah, I, I just, uh, I think we can leverage existing technology or new technology um, in much more kind of efficient ways where, you, like, at least in America, you've got traditional security systems or, like, $1,000 in installation of a bunch of equipment and then, like, $50 a month monitoring fees. And basically, nobody turns them on because there's so many false alarms. And if you're home, you don't turn it on because you're coming in and out. So it's like, if somebody walks in the house... You're, you're screwed. Yeah. <laughs> so this is basically like a response to like threats, health emergencies, um, all that stuff. And like we said, you know, and people living in like upper middle class suburbs who can afford security systems are the people who don't actually need them because there's like a high police presence and not a lot of crime. Uh, whereas, you know, you've got these communities that don't get as much um, police attention um, for good or ill or in the right ways. And um and they need to take care of each other. So it's kind of about like, you know, being practical and using what's at our disposal to like you know, help people, hopefully save lives. <laughs> yeah. Is that, is it global or is it just US based at the moment? It's just US now, but I think it's very important to kind of expand as quickly as we can because yeah, people respond to the idea um, globally. So um, it's really just in, in due course, but as soon as possible from my perspective. Yeah, yeah, because that's uh, that's definitely something that people in like some of my clients could use. I'm a I don't know if there's a, a job with this title in the U.S., but I'm a rehabilitation consultant, um, and so I just help like injured workers get back to yeah, work. We do. God, I wish there's a there's a uh, it's like a work aid, but it's got another name for it, and I. Yeah, I'm showing my ignorance, but uh, we do have that position. My mom would know. She worked with, and uh, not this capacity you're describing, but she uh, was like a work aid for autistic adults. Yeah. Um, 
but anyway, we do we do have that profession. I'm just forgetting the uh, the handle. Yeah, because I've I've a few times thought because um, I know there, there's that uh, I forgot what it, like Life Alert or something that elderly people yeah, yeah. use, but um, there's a few people with like heart conditions that could you know collapse at any time and they live by themselves. And something like, like that app could be, could be useful. So yeah, it's definitely, that's a huge idea. It, it felt really big and, um, yeah, I mean, it's coming across. So we, you know, we don't have, we're not like a, a corporation. So, um, or, you know, other than maybe a, perhaps a name, <laughs> Yeah. but, uh, you know, we're true, but we do have resources. My brother, um, you know, previous to starting this, um, I was helping him out uh, with marketing at his green energy company, um, Greenlight Energy. So he kind of took the money he made from that and, and was taking the swing. Um, but yeah, like you said, it's like everybody's got a smartphone. It's available to you. So it, it's kind of, it's kind of just about making people aware of it. Um, and we shall see. Yeah. I mean, if your brother's got a marketing background, I'm sure um, that won't be too much of a problem. <laughs> well, he doesn't. I was actually helping him with marketing, so oh, that, okay. I don't know if that. I don't. I don't know if that bodes well. So it all rests <laughs> on your shoulders. <laughs> well, I no mean, pressure. Jeez, maybe I'm falling short. No, I think we're. we're everybody kind of does everything, so we're, we're just in line, and it's about like uh, you know how ultimately we want to use the resources, which is basically his money. So I'm just kind of along for the ride. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, I. I've got a, uh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm obviously working on uh, a lot of things, um, the next movie and, um, a, a bunch of things that are ready to go. It's about like the order of making them kind of the sequence and, and the time in your life to kind of pull everything together. But, uh, yeah, doing a bunch of stuff and it's kind of nuts because my wife is a uh, medical resident. She, she's an ER resident. Um, and, you know, she's working all-nighters, like, 14-hour shifts, and we have two young kids, and, um, yeah, we're just, like, it's almost a surreal dream state right now, just kind of, um, yeah, stretched pretty thin, but definitely feeling grateful for everything. Yeah. Is the, so is, is the, the goal to get the directing, writing, pro- producing sort of thing um, as more of your full-time gig? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean it's yeah, that's like that's everything to me. So I've got like a bunch of stories I'm like burning to tell, and um, but yeah, as you know, uh, or you, as you might know, it's you know in a, a podcast as any kind of creative endeavor, it's like art is art, and you need resources, and certainly with movies, you need other people, money, all those things. So you just kind of have to, uh, you know. You have to believe in what you're doing, and you know, keep swinging and um, kind of push, get advancing balls forward, for, for lack of a better analogy. Yeah. Uh, so, or metaphor, yeah. So, what did you um, what did you study at Princeton? I studied politics. Uh, my major was politics. Um, we were kind of limited. It's it's good that you brought up athletics because we. Basically, everybody on the lacrosse team and most of the athletes, you kind of have to like, there were certain majors that were just, you know, off the table. But um, most most guys were history or politics. Um, 
I so I yeah I was politics and but it's a liberal arts school so you study everything and um, I took the film production courses that were available so introductory film and video practice and advanced film and video practice those are the ones you started like making movies immediately that's when I learned how to edit and, yeah and just like sh- shooting what I wrote and act performing and stuff and. Um, just like spending more time on those movies than like all my other classes combined. So really loved it immediately. Always knew I wanted to do it. And the kind of instinct was confirmed when I did do it. And, and that's what I wanted to do when I got out of school. I wrote Beach Pillows pretty much immediately. And um, and that was a long road to get it done. So I, I kind of wrote a bunch of stuff during that time and, you know, made shorts and all this different stuff. But um, so, yeah, that's, that's hopefully an answer to a question that was asked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so, how long did it take to write Beach Pillows? Um, gosh, I, I, a couple months on my parents' kitchen table on Long Island, um, my the, my home, and then I drove out to LA with a buddy across country to like live with his brother, and I finished it there. And you know, a couple months or a couple weeks. I mean, there were, whenever I would sit, it's really just about when you're going to sit down. Um, because the story was brewing for a while. But so, yeah, like half in New York and half in L.A., and then it was optioned pretty quickly when I started sharing it with people. And then, uh, you know, as I discussed before, it, it just became like a long road of some false starts, like chicken and the egg, like, well, you can't make a film unless you've made a film. So um, yeah. it's really tough to break in. And what I kind of realized was you have to not be waiting for permission. You just have to, like, put one foot in front of the other until you cross the line. So yeah, that's, that's the thing with uh, anyone in like arts or performing arts and stuff. Like you need to find your own platform first and sort of build something because no one really wants to take a chance, which is, which is sad. Um, I was just, you need to like, uh, especially in a visual medium, whatever the medium is like movies. Okay give us a short film or something um and it even just so that you have confidence because it was funny like i i was putting so much pressure on myself for this feature it was like new territory working with these big professional actors and it's just like it's always the same thing and if you're confident and if you know what you're gonna do and you believe in what you're gonna do when you do it i mean assuming you're not like um out of your mind, you know, like yeah. delusional. What, Tommy Wiseau. Yeah. When you do what you had planned, um, or at least when I did what I planned, it was like, oh, you know, like there was nothing to be afraid of. Like this is what I should be doing. I know what I. And, and, yeah. So it was like it, 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 that. All felt great, but it's really about like it's really about confidence, and it's of course, it's tough to have confidence if you haven't done it before. So everybody's kind of on the same page there. <laughs> Um, but you know, it's about, that's why you need self-belief to kind of get up over all those hurdles. Yeah. And the, the story of beach pillars, uh, was that based on anything in your life at the time? Like, I mean, it was sort of the journey of a, a writer where, and you were, right. while you were writing beach pillars. <laughs> yeah. So in, in some ways, um, yeah, no, it was inspired by like, more than anything, uh, emo- the emotion of kind of a, a time between like being at home and then you know, that I think everybody experiences and like um, 
kind of, you know, it's uh, growing up or stepping out on your own, taking a chance um, and kind of defining your purpose. So, yes, that was those were all things I, I was feeling. I was kind of keenly aware that that's a story that my heroes have told about their journey. So it was really important for me. Um, at that time, I was like, I want to tell a story about where I'm from, like who I'm from, and, um, you know, in my own sensibility. Um, and those were really valuable to me growing up. They kind of made me feel less alone in terms of my emotional state. And uh, I just wanted to kind of throw a log in that fire and do it in a different way. Um, so that, that, those were the instincts. And certainly, yeah, it's about, it's about everything. It's about me and my, you know, and everyone around me, <laughs> but not in like specific. It's not like autobiographical, like things are combined. Like I am kind of the two characters. They're like each side of my personality as, as narcissistic as that sounds, as well as um, close friends I've had. Um, but at the end of the day, you kind of take all of that and put it into a story and, you know, try to make it work. So, um, yeah. I, I, I'm not trying to be evasive, but uh, that, that's kind of the gist. Yeah. Is there such thing as a beach pillow? <laughs> no, I mean, that, see, that's what, um, it, I don't know if it's a hook that we hung, or that I hung the story on, or, but that that was all real. That was me and my buddy on the beach and me coming up with it. And <laughs> Oh, wow. And, yeah, so I was like, this is the best idea. So it was really about, it's about creativity and inspiration and and what are you going to do with it? So I didn't make the beach pillow, but I made the movie. Um, uh, cause that's more kind of my lane. But, um, and it's also kind of an interesting, uh, physical sort of symbol for the state, like being comfortable where, wherever you are, you know what I mean? So, um, I'm geeked on the idea. I don't think anybody's really nailed it yet. And it's like years later, certainly years since I had the idea and wrote the script. So, um, not to mention, you know, made him release the movie a couple of years ago. So, um, I don't, yeah, I think it's so sweet. And, and, and it's as simple as Nick explains it. It's a, a pillow, the way you like a pillow in your bed yeah. wrapped in a beach towel. And it's not this other bullshit where they're like changing it up and making it. It's like, no, that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I liked that. And I was, I was, I was watching it with my girlfriend and I was like, if this is a thing, we like, we, we need to get one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, isn't that funny, dude? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad you felt that way. Um, shit, it was so hard to to get uh, a watchable version of your movie because the the That's Amazon, what you said, yeah, the Amazon store and like the the iTunes store it had to be the US iTunes store, and so I changed the country on my thing, and I still couldn't get it. So I had you to. Were not available in Australia? Is that what you're telling me? I wish you would have told me. I would like you know talk to my distributor and try to figure it out yeah um, so Vimeo, i had to I mean, we're on like vimeo do you guys have vimeo yeah we got vimeo yeah so it's on vimeo i could dude i could have just sent you a link like a pat like a password protected link to watch it for free i have no uh, yeah i wish you would have just asked i feel bad no i did i mean i did watch it for free but it was um <laughs> it was illegal <laughs> but um, I was hoping that I could I could have purchased it so I could at least support you um, having I, you on my show. No, that's really nice, and um, 
I, I sense that that was your kind of uh, desire. So it's really nice. But no, no, no I, I'm, you know, I really appreciate being able to talk about it and happy to send it to you. If, if the experience was anything less than ideal, um, you know, I'm happy to share it. Did you, did you show your face in that movie at all? Did you have any like cameo appearance? Yeah. Um, I'm Billy Delancre, the co-star of the track star at the end in Morgan's bedroom. The, um, the guy with the mustache on the poster, it says, um, I'd rather have my heart explode racing to win than live in the middle of the pack or something. Yeah. Um, Billy Delancre. So it's a black and white track poster in Morgan's room at the end before he leaves Nick um, and kind of... Is, is, is any of this ring a bell? I don't know how much you saw. I saw the whole thing. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah. So do you remember that part? So that's after they, they have their final fight? Oh, definitely after the fight. It's after Morgan gets into it with his mom... And um, she slaps him, and then he goes into his bedroom, and Nick is just kind of like has. I think Nick has like fixed up. His oh, bedroom. he's put everything back up on the walls. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, there's this like pan to the right um, from kind of Morgan's plaques to this poster, and it that yeah, you know, that's me in the poster, and it calls back. We do a punch on it, and it calls back Nick in the bedroom earlier in on the bunk beds. He was like, "What we really need is a." motivational poster right here that could turn things around yes early so yeah it's, it's kind of a callback yeah that, that's like all that. you get of me because i hadn't um i hadn't really done like a huge stalking outside of your uh your credentials so i hadn't i don't think i've actually seen a picture of you oh cool so i <laughs> that's why i wanted i was like oh, i wonder if I wonder if like the dude in well, the that... in the store like that he he tells to fuck off <laughs> i was i was wondering if that was you <laughs> Oh God! Yeah, no, I do. I mean, just Google, man. It's yeah. Like, <laughs> no, I mean, uh, no, that wasn't me. That's funny. Uh, there's a backstory to that, um, but that's a great actor, and I have a friend who insists that that's me, and uh, I don't think the guy's portrayed that glowingly. So it's like he's all pissed about it. But I'm glad you thought it was me. Because, uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway. It's not him. If, if he listens to this, it's not you. <laughs> uh, I feel. I feel like um, a lot of uh, directors will put themselves in like a a role where they get they get a little bit disrespected like that, and so I just like I just base it off, base it off of that. Like Stan Lee in his movies is often like a bit of a douche, right. and same with like Quentin Tarantino and sure. Yeah, so I was just like, I was just thinking that. Uh, back the director cameo is uh, yeah. I I actually. I mean, I made a short version of Beach Pillows where I played the Nick character. Um, but for my first feature, I, I was very much like, I, I don't want to play one of the big roles. I, like, I, I was, I didn't necessarily think I could do it. And, um, and of course, I was thrilled with the actors I got and, and the job they did. But I, I did have an instinct to play the drug dealer, Ditto. Yeah. Um, because, like in Mean Streets, one of my favorite movies, and kind of an echo of this movie in in, in certain respects, um, Martin Scorsese's like um, it wasn't his first feature, but it was kind of his first distributed feature anyway. And um, or anyway, uh, there's uh, it's not worth getting into. But um, so he was the he was kind of a, a, a criminal in that. And he played a very small part, a shadowy figure who ends up shooting Robert De Niro, Johnny Boy, 
Um, so he's kind of a menace, uh, but doesn't really have any lines. Um, but anyway, so I, I, I had thought about playing that, and it was, you know, full disclosure, Jeffrey and Vinny, we were rehearsing for a couple of weeks in the city, um, the leads, uh, me and my buddy's apartment, and they were like, they were like, no, man, you can't do it, it's too much. And I was like, you know, I, I was basically uh, moldable. I was like, okay, fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and um, their, but their good buddy, um, Mike Damis, who I had like, I'd met before then, and uh, just a great guy, great actor. And we've, I don't know. We, so I gave him the role, and he, he crushed it or whatever. Um, I mean, it's a tiny role, but was required yeah um so yeah i mean but the funny thing about that is and i would i would have sent it to you my new feature i'm the lead and i'm like the whole thing i mean the whole thing so um that's covid co- how do you say covidonga covidonga yeah yeah covidonga okay so um you're oh you're the lead in that and so what how yeah. how do you direct and play the lead at the same time well, for this thing, and kind of why I did it, it really made sense because, um, you know, how did, I don't know, like, not, not to equate myself, but it's like someone like Charlie Chaplin, it's like, it's, it's kind of easier if you do it yourself because you don't have to direct somebody doing all these elaborate physical things or, you know, in, in this movie, it's a lot of physical stuff, which is can, can be hard to get actors to do. Um, like... You know where you might get hurt or something. Yeah, and also um, you got to go for Tom Cruise. I, yeah, he does, that guy doesn't give a fuck. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully, hopefully one day. But um, <laughs> anyway, I also played a bunch of music in this movie that I wrote, so it was like, you know, it it made it more efficient and kind of producible if I if I did it. Like it was, you know, I could be a little bit quicker. When's when's that supposed to be out? So we're exploring distribution opportunities. Hope, my hope is like by the summer, but I definitely don't have like a deadline on it because I really want to get it in the spot it deserves because I, I believe in it. But needless to say, it'll be available online for everybody. But I say that, and then you said you couldn't watch my movie, so I'm like devastated. Just well, the, the least you could have done is asked how you could watch it. Like then I could have, you know, tried to help. Yeah, well, I, I just I just googled it and I just kept looking for it, and you sent me the two yeah. links on Twitter as well. Um, oh fuck! Yeah, and they I, just they were just uh, I guess they were just for US, and that yeah, that dude, happens I, I, quite I, I, I a mean, lot. I didn't know where you were. I, I could have helped, helped you out, but I, I understand that not everybody's going to be able to like ask me. And so. yeah, and my Twitter did say uh, <laughs> uh, Smithfield, Rhode Island, at that's the right. time, so that's <laughs> no fault well, of yours. You know, you know the funny thing about that. Rhode Island, well, Deer Tick is one of the two bands whose music is featured predominantly in Beach Pillows, and um, they're from Rhode Island. They're oh, okay. Rhode Island band, so. how, how expensive uh, is that, like, being able to source music, or just, it, I guess it probably depends on the band and the song? That, for sure. Um, for me, you know, they were just, they just gave it, you know, they just gave it away. Um I, I mean, they didn't give it, a, if we make any money, um, which is my sincere hope, they'll start making it back, but um, 
we're all kind of in the same boat. <laughs> yeah. Um, Deer Tick was, I never thought it would happen. It was just blew my mind. I like, I, I love them independently as a fan and I just kind of got in touch and got really lucky. I'm sure they thought it was like a bigger deal than it actually turned out to be. <laughs> but um, the other band, Deadly Syndrome, was like half the tracks has been a little more, maybe a little more electronic, but it's rock music and it was like a little spacier. Um, that's my, those are all my good buddies. Um, so, and Jesse Hoy, who was the drummer in that band, helped, was like a producer on the film. So. Oh, okay. The day I had a close relationship with, and Deer Tick was just total score. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it adds, it's such a big part of the movie. So, I'm just really, really amazed that that happened. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, that helps. Oh, oh yeah. Dude, I love this song. I love all this song so much. Um, yeah. Going back to um, the the talent in the movie, how so? You said you were rehearsing. Did you did you go through auditions, or you did did you just um, offer uh, like Jeffrey and and Vinny the the parts? Did I? Just offer it to them? I'm sorry, is that, is that what you have? Yeah, did you offer or did you go through an audition process? Oh, God, no. They didn't, yeah. With, like, at that, with their level, like the leads, um, and, you know, my position of making the movie, kind of, you know, independent first time, you just offer it and whoever, whoever accepts it, you, you take it. But they were the first, they were the first two I offered the parts. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so I got really lucky that they liked the script. And, um, yeah, so I was introduced to Jeffrey, um, by that guy, Jesse, who's the drummer in the Deadly Syndrome. His wife was Christina Hendricks' stylist, and I just saw them in a picture, and I was like, wait, you, you know this guy? He's like, yeah. And I was like, he's great. I think he would be great for Morgan. He hasn't played this kind of role, but he's really funny. And he's really physical and tall. So I think he could play a leading man, but he hasn't done it. And Morgan kind of doesn't talk as much and has to, like, just be... Oh, my God, it's not big. Are you serious? Sorry, my wife just found the sauce. That's all right. Um, so, so anyway, I was like, I want to play the lead because I think he, he would make it work and it would be an opportunity for him to do something different. Um... And he, he got it and read it on his phone, like, just immediately. And he, he, he signed up. Sorry. And then I was just like, you know what? There's this um, guy on your wife's show on Mad Men. I don't know if you ever saw that show, but Vincent, who plays Nick, was on Mad Men. And so was Jeffrey's wife. And I was like, he would be great for this. Um. And it was very different than anything he'd ever been in. Um, but there were just something you never saw that man, did you? Yeah, I know it. I've I've watched the first couple of episodes, and I I really enjoyed it. And I thought I re I recognized him from something, and it was probably that. Yeah, I think it was. He's he's Pete Campbell. He's one of the leads, and uh, yeah, he was just uh, anyway. I wanted him for certain reasons. High in the sky, and Jeffrey was like, I yeah, I, I know him. I knew him. I knew my wife, and um, he's a lot like this guy, Nick, in real life. I was like, oh my god. Maybe I don't 
did. He, he, he said he read it on the bench, which was kind of funny. And um, he got it. He read it with some friends, and they all read the parts. And yeah, so he liked it, and he signed on, and then I was able to kind of get a casting. And with their names, I was able to like raise the money. And I got a casting director, and uh, basically they were got Annette Tool, the parents, and Richard Schiff, who's like an Emmy winner. Yeah, they like those. They like those guys, and they like the script. So they didn't. It, there wasn't necessarily this infrastructure of like you know a big production or something they were like oh they're in it the script is good yeah we'll do it so um that was it was almost like a magic trick yeah with the with the script since you wrote it and then you know directed and um produced it all yourself did you have to like how many drafts did you have to do or did you sort of just say this is how i like it i can do it like this oh well i mean i liked it the first draft (laughs) but um, basically, I didn't make it for 10 years after that. Um, so I kept enriching it with, like, the stuff of my life. Um, I mean, it was very much the same story, but I kind of um, probably just refined it a little bit. Um, you know, I had to take some stuff out. Um, but it, it essentially was what it was, but I used all the lessons over those years and kind of my emotional space to just keep it alive so that I felt like I was making something that was really, you know, still very close to me. Yeah. It's, and with, with having those, those guys sign, sign on to, um, to that film being already established, was that intimidating at all being your first feature? Um, no, it wasn't like not not inherently, not in and of itself. It's more exciting. Um, I think when what can be intimidating is like you know these the movie goes as these guys go, so you kind of uh, you just have to make sure everybody's on the same page, you know, and feels good about it all the time. <laughs> um, which you know, you should, presumably you should because you signed on for it and all that stuff, but. Um, it's intense work and you know, those guys, as you saw, had kind of emotional parts. So you just have to, um, yeah, you just have to make sure everybody's like, what would I say? Make sure everybody's feeling good, ready to go. Um, I mean, they're pros, so you're not that worried, but at the end of the day, I like, I, I didn't have, I wasn't holding any chips necessarily because they could bail on this movie and like, try to forget about it not even worry yeah. <laughs> like um so i you know uh, i didn't want that to happen certainly um and i wouldn't sus- expect it to happen because you know i'm a nice person and i'm trying to make sure everybody's all in and having fun but yeah you, on the first movie when you've got some bigger people i think you're probably keenly aware that oh like we you can't you can't um, you know, you can't. I'm not like I can't be like Alfred Hitchcock and like put somebody in their place, kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but um, you also learn a lot of lessons there. You you learn like what you're you're ultimately willing to put up with and stuff like that. But I I, I don't want to try to. Um, I mean, I was super grateful and lucky to have every single one of those people, and they're all still in my life and um really great people um like 
each in in their own way but like really and that's probably why they did it i mean like i you know i couldn't say anything else but that they're great people like they understood what i was trying to do and they like felt like they wanted to help me do it so i i would always tell those guys like you're you know you're blessing me by doing this and i still feel that way yeah and so the director, the directing style is like sort of like um, like a management style. Like say say you turn it into like rehab, um, retail or, or coaching. It's like you you hear stories about directors that um, you know they want you to the millimeter on your mark uh, and all of this. Um, but then you've got directors that talk about like you know I got. I got these guys in in my movie because I know what they can do. So I just let them do what they can do. Yeah. Um, I think you want... Were you still going? Oh, no, no, that's fine. No, that's a... I mean, yeah, in terms of those two um, approaches, I think you're looking for probably something in the middle just in terms of having a point of view visually like wanting to achieve things visually that really bring an audience along and uh, contribute to the, to what the actors are doing, but then let the actors be free enough so that they're not inhibited and they're kind of, um, yeah, just, you know, being in the moment. So um, I, I always found, I, I responded to both. I responded like, like what, formalist directors like like a john ford or like those old westerns did or you know um alfred hitchcock just very you know cinema so like uh, john houston telling telling movies with pictures and then um but also incorporating like john cassavetes like everything's got to be real like you've got to be you've just got to be feeling it um or going, you know, going for something, you know, not like plotting through um, as a marionette, like really taking ownership of your role um, and being your own kind of director in a way. Um, so, I, and I found that maybe someone like Martin Scorsese took that approach. Like the, the, the aesthetic is very specific and the visuals are like crafted. Um, and to be put together in a certain way, but the actors seem alive. Um, so th- that's the goal, and, and that was definitely my goal, and you have to work differently with different actors um, because it's hard for them to be emotional and also be in the right place for the camera. Um, like that's re- you know, That can be really tough because you've got certain lenses with a focal length, so if these guys aren't in the right place, they're out of focus. Um, which, you know, can be nice if you, if you want, but, um, it is hard acting. I mean, you know, acting seems easy and if you know, if you're good at it, um, you make it look easy, certainly, but there's a lot, there's a lot going on there. At least, not the least of which is these people are just being super vulnerable in front of tons, in front of a bunch of people. Yeah. So they're exposing themselves, themselves in front of people, which, that's kind of what you learn to really respect and admire and um, I maybe try to emulate in certain ways. So always found it fascinating how some actors, you know, they say that they just sort of, they can just switch it on when they, 
when they go on set. Like Daniel Day Lewis is a bit extreme with his, you know, call me Mr. President or whatever. But, um, but like, yeah, to to just without you know going to the trailer and getting yourself into whatever mood you need to get into, and just being able to walk on the set and then snap your fingers and sort of turn into somebody else is is crazy to me. I don't think I'd be able to do that. Yeah. It would have to be I like a, a um it would have to be yeah. like a but in between those two things, like sort of get into the the mood through through experiences of my own and then and sort of become the character a bit before the director calls action or something like that. Yeah. Um you I'm glad you're asking like I like that you're asking some craft oriented questions um that don't don't aren't often asked. Um, so I think, I see every actor has kind of their own craft. It's really, it's kind of like sports. It's, it's about what works for you. What am I good at? So what can I emphasize? And, and what am I not good at? So what can I work on? Um, but it's, you know, what, what's my game? So like, um, what, what is my game and what, I'm, what am I bringing to the table on game day? Um, but the way you, it's funny, they might have different philosophical approaches and preparation. Like some people don't like to don't like to read the script too much because they want it to feel super fresh. But some people it only feels fresh if they learn it so well that they like forget it and can just like you know, be weird and just like throw emotion at the at the words and not think about what they they need to say. Yeah. Um so I get both of those. But at the end of the day, what I think is the commonality is that, and it's something like Robert De Niro says, and he's known as a method actor and one of the great actors of all time, and you know so many great performances. He says, if you're not, you're, you don't always feel it, but you have to do it. Like at the end of the day, and that's kind of that's movie or stage acting. Like you show up, people are waiting, other people are working and getting paid. You've got to be i don't know i don't know if it's selfless or brave but you've got to just do it even if you're even if you're afraid oh this is going to be bullshit and i think giving yourself permission to like play is the core of acting um yeah when when you just you're not judging yourself i think it's it's about not judging what you're doing yeah yeah i think it's like you said i think it is probably a combination of selflessness and and bravery if you're not if you're not quite feeling it that day you i mean it's it's your job at that point and you've just got to you've got to get along get on with it yep um but you've mentioned scorsese a lot is that so is he sort of your is he your favorite director your idol yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's rote to say so, or it's like too easy or something, or, or um, but for me, singularly in terms of living directors, it's like those movies have, have impacted me, and I could watch again um, because you know it's like I'm, he's a master at everything, <laughs> like um, but especially. I think the, what I admire maybe most of all is the inventiveness, how he's able to take everything he sees behind him and turn it into something new. Um, and that's yeah. like, you know, it's, it's like reverence, but it's also like icono, 
classicism. I don't even know how that works. <laughs> but uh, it, it, it's like not being afraid to, to break the mold, but really being inspired by what's come before you. So, yeah, I mean, just from purely the performances in his, his movies are among the most memorable. The images are, the, the editing choices are, the music along with the picture is. Um, he's, I'm Catholic. He's Catholic. And that's kind of runs hard through his um, storytelling. Um, so, yeah, it's just it's really responsive. I also respond to the way he talks about filmmaking, his friends, his family. He seems like a really, um, you know, from, from all I know about him, just like a great person. Um, and I think, yeah, you've got to just, you've got to admire God. I mean, I can't imagine doing something. Maybe there are, there are examples, but doing something in a field where, like, you don't look up to anybody. <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe, I, mean, I don't know, you know, it could be an interesting thing, but uh, uh, I, I look up to him very, very much. Yeah. I wouldn't say that's too easy. I mean, like, um, I grew up in the 90s, so my favorite basketball player of all time is Michael Jordan. Um, uh, yeah. which is an easy choice, but like, what do you, what are you supposed to do? The best is the best. The be- I, I agree 100%. And, uh, <laughs> I agree on Michael Jordan. Yeah. Did you, so do you have a favorite film? That can be tougher just because there's so many good ones. Let me, let me just rattle off a bunch. Um, give me a top, like... a top five if you got one. Okay. Uh, I, it's, it's too few. I, I really like, Husbands by John Cassavetes. It's a Wonderful Life, Capra, um, Scarecrow by Jerry Schatzberg, Gold Rush by Charlie Chaplin, um, The Last Waltz by Scorsese. Um, is that five? Uh, I think uh, that's six. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I don't know that that could, but I, I really, you know, I like a lot. I, some throwbacks. There's like a bunch, and there's always ones um, that I probably wish I would have said. But let, let, let me let me think of one that's cool that maybe. Anyway, what, what's um, yeah? See, this is where it gets into. Well, you normally have too many, and now I'm like, uh, what's another good one? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, it's when you start saying kind of foreign language movies, it's like, all right, leave me alone, man. But. <laughs> I I really like um, let's just say Desica is a really impressive director, but I love like Wes, Wes Anderson is like I'll I'll be very eager to see everything he puts out. Yeah. Um, and that's you know I think there's a lot of contemporary filmmakers who probably feel that way just because this point of view is so singular. Um, but like The Graduate had a huge impact on me. Um, uh, the Odd Couple had a really big impact on me, um, but yeah, it's it, it almost becomes more filmmakers. Um, yeah. Anyway, Rear Window. I mean, yeah, just like uh, you, you get into this trap where it's like, do I have to say something that other people don't say, and it sounds cool? Yeah. But um, <laughs> but anyway, I I like um, I just love art, and I look I look to. You know, I look to love the things I'm watching, so um, I, lo- I really like a lot of movies. How many movies um, would you watch per week? Oh uh, well, that's it's good that you're asking because 
I used to like for for extended periods of time and effectively years just be locked away watching movies yeah. <laughs> and studying this stuff. But like now I've got two babies and like I said, my wife is a ER resident. Um, so it's, it's less so. And I, um, definitely harder to get out to the movies. Um, and then, um, so yeah, I don't, I don't see that much, man. I, I try to watch things and, and get amped about them, but like I haven't seen Black Panther. So, oh, okay. Uh, whereas I used to just go to the, I, I used to go to the movies and sit and watch like two or three movies at the movies, and then I'd be, I'd be watching a movie or two every night. Um, I just I I can't anymore. Uh, I but and it's it's also because I don't know if you feel this way. I love. Um, I think it's, I don't know, but I, I think if you, it, it depends where I am in my life. Like I'm stuck into do, doing a lot of stuff. Like we talked about the nine to five. So I like live TV. I like live music performances on TV. I like sports. I like things that make me feel like I'm watching something that I haven't seen and anything could happen. Yeah. Um, so I like movies that make me feel that way. Like, you know, Good Time was a movie last year. Um, and a couple other movies I liked, but, um, Mother, everybody thought that was a total weird movie, but I thought it was great. I didn't end up seeing that, and that was because of, um, what I had heard, but it's, that's, that's the thing with movies, though, is it is pretty subjective, like, some I mean, people, it's entirely subjective, yeah. you know? So, I, I don't <laughs> understand, like, the, the, um... All you have to do is look at modern art to, to realize, oh, there's, you know, because most people would be like, that's a block of white yeah <laughs> um, but you know it's about context and all these other things but um for sure very subjective which you know makes it kind of um if you're super uh if you care a lot about other people's opinions in terms of them defining your worth um it might be dangerous <laughs> yes <laughs> did you so um like wes anderson um Martin Scorsese, they've, they've sort of got their their wheelhouse that they sort of sit in when they're um, doing their movies. Uh, would you consider yeah. any genre or would you stick to like uh, like drama? Well, I, it's funny you say people would call beach films different things, um, but I like that you said drama. Um, see, I think Scorsese, you know, you look at the king of comedy or or something like Silence, or something like Goodfellas. He, he's definitely been able to do a whole lot of, or Shutter Island, you know, like, a, or um, Cape Fear, like horror movies. So he, he can do everything, and I really admire that. And I also admire that they always do feel like Scorsese movies, which is what you said. Wes Anderson, he makes a lot of different kind of movies, um, but I think tonally they're probably a little more consistent. Um but I think what I like about both of them and what happens in those movies is anything can happen. So they've got laughs, they've got violence, they've got kind of drama, sexuality, the aspects of thrillers. So, and I think they do because that's what life has. You know, that's what all great art has. Yeah. So I, I, I like genre in so much as it can kind of 
inspire you or serve a story you're trying to tell and have, you know, allow an audience to kind of relate to it. But I also like great, like, uh, genreless movies or not being inhibited by like, Oh, this story has to be told in this way because like beach Bill is a lot of people see it as a comedy, but you, you saw it as a drama because I think it, you know, it's got these real, it feels maybe it's not like waiting on jokes. It's a little more grounded and it's got emotional stuff. Um, so it's like, I, yeah, uh, like a black, black comedy. Right, right, right. right. Yeah. <laughs> and, but like Covidanga is something else entirely. So I, um, definitely the stuff I plan to me continues that trend. I think it all feels like me, but, um, yeah. So what I, you know, what I like um, that, like when, when in any movie, it can represent kind of everything. <laughs> yeah. Did you, um, um yeah. I know, I know directors like keeping the, Sorry, the endings of their films like ambiguous or, or secret. Um, <laughs> are you, so is there a specific uh, interpretation of the ending of Beach Pillows? And uh, spoiler alert, if anybody hasn't seen it, uh, switch off now. But um, yeah, was there a specific idea that you had or was it sort of like interpret it how, how you will? <laughs> I think um, I think you're probably right that most filmmakers don't want to say too much. Um, and it's not because they didn't have an intention necessarily. It's is because your um, interpretation is more valid. You know, it's as valid or more valid because it's... Um, it's that subjectivity it's, again. Yeah, yeah, it's subjectivity. It's also like you're trying to pull things out of people if you're doing a good piece of art. So you're going to bring them closer to it, not, um, not basically shout it on a soapbox. You're trying to bring them into it. So... It's really important what you thought. Um, I, I'll say that um, it, you know, it's kind of. I think it. It feels like this. Um, got it all figured out, and then we had a happy situation with the lighting, where Jeffrey's blocking the light out of his um, face, and we create this kind of shadow and. I don't know. For me, that says plenty, and yeah. it certainly feels right. So, yeah, I, I I was glad. I didn't. I'll say this in in terms of del delivering information. I didn't, um, or you know, information about the way the movie was made. <laughs> Hopefully, I'm delivering information here. But um, <laughs> he, we didn't like. I wasn't like. It wasn't in the script. Like he puts his hand in front of his face, or I didn't direct that. He did it. And then I looked at the DP and I was like, yeah, that's, that'll work. Yeah. So, yeah. So it was just, um, it's nice. So that's like, you plan all these things and then you create an atmosphere where you hope things can happen. Cause when they, you know, when you can be surprised, you, you have a pretty good feeling about the audience. Yeah. Um, I'll just finish. I'll just one more thing before I let you go and, um, be with your wife. Um, the, you talked about realness and um, and how that how you can see that through through the screen um, as a consumer of the movie. Was 
um, Jeffrey getting slapped by uh, his mother was that was that a real slap or was that a stage slap? Oh, I'm glad you asked about that. I, I feel like that that doesn't get asked enough. Um, that was a real slap. That was a real slap. You know, he only gets slapped once in the movie. It's it's super emotional, and it's kind of like I think Nick says sometimes you need a human hand to get you going. Yeah, I think the one I think the one that he needed maybe was his mom. Um, so it was real. Um, you know, obvious, maybe we sweetened the audio a little bit, but not, not really. It was, it was a, it was a good slap. We did. And that's one continuous take. He walks, we, we kind of carry him in the house over his shoulder. And then, um, she spins around and smacks him and we were over his shoulder following her up the stairs and you, you know, you saw it. So, um, it, we did it a handful of times, and uh, yeah, for me, it's a big deal. And she slapped him. <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> I, think it, um, I think it helps. I'm always uh, impressed with those continuous takes. And then, um, like, although Birdman wasn't a continuous take, just the right. um, the way they made it look was that blew my mind. I always love, I always love those those long takes. Yeah, I, I think they're super effective. I think in you know, regardless of how flashy you're trying to be with them, I think what the the feeling that comes across to an audience is I'm seeing something happening. Yeah. Um, whereas edits can let the air out of the balloon, and you know, you kind of let the audience off the hook. If you're just sitting on people, you're you're demanding the audience to feel it. Yeah. You know, when you cut, you're able to be like, okay, what am I looking at now? I'm turning my head. Um, we're jumping in time. It's fine. But when you're just sitting there, you you kind of feel that with the characters a little more. That that long fight with the the bear in the Revenant. Yeah, yeah. That was that was amazing, and then to think that he's he's wrestling with like nothing or with like somebody wearing <laughs> one of those ridiculous suits. I just I was like, if he doesn't get one this year, I, it's, <laughs> it's too it's too late for him. <laughs> yeah, nah, he's a man. Yeah. You got you gotta love Leo. I, th- I think what, um, but yes, uh, Inaratu certainly uses the long takes, um, and I, I love the Redman. I thought it was, I thought it was really cool. I preferred it to Birdman, I don't know. Oh yeah, I did as well, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I think what's so great about Leo is he's like, you know, best actor of his generation, um, but it's because he... It's because of his choices, basically. He he he's able to make the kind of popular movie going a more artful place because he chooses to work with, you know, he doesn't necessarily break a lot of new directors, but he's working with well, artists. So um, it's it's good when you've got the big guys doing that. Um, I think that's what makes them the big guys at the end of the day. But. Um, yeah. Super cool. I mean, if without that, there, I think there's a hole. Him and a couple other guys for sure. If you uh, if you could work with one actor, who okay. who would it be? Or is that? Do you not want to cut anyone out in case in case all <laughs> the uh, the uh, big big uh, actors are listening to this episode? Yeah, no, I'm not worried about that. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, every. Who do you? Who would you want to work with? Man, I um, 
I've got a huge soft spot for uh, Denzel. Oh yeah, I mean that'd be amazing. And uh, and Leo, Leo of course. Yeah, I would. Um, working with anyone, you're kind of assuming. Oh, this means I'm in a pretty good spot, so that's that's nice. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but maybe even though I know he's supposed to be retired. Gosh. It's hard, man. I just, I, I love it so much and have so much fun. It's it's really not as much about that. Meryl Streep, it's like, what is she? She's supposed, she's like supposed to be the best actor ever. Yeah. So it's not a great answer, but uh, she seems really nice and fun. I also want to work with Daniel Day-Lewis because he's, um, you know, Irish. Uh, my mother's from Ireland, so I have kind of, and most of, she's the only one who came over. She's one of 10, so oh, most of my wow. family's in Ireland. So I've got, uh, I want to work with him, um, for sure. And, uh, but like, yeah, hopefully I'll get to work uh, with some guys. I, I, it's funny. I don't, I, I doubt other people look at it that way, but I definitely don't because what I think about is which, like, I've got all these movies that I want to make. Yeah. So, like, I just, I just want to make those movies. And who could be in them? I definitely, I definitely think about that. So, Martin Short, let's say that. You know, Martin Short, I want to work with. Yep. <laughs> so, I know, I like to work with Martin Short, but there are guys like, you know, Bill Murray, fucking Robert De Niro. It's like, of, of course, I just want to meet them, you know, <laughs> not to mention work with them. Um, but yeah, um, there's some people like that, and um, yeah, Leo would be great. Leo, let's do it. Yes, <laughs> I'm sure he's listening. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I could I could talk to you for another hour, but I'll let you I'll let you go and finish your dinner and um, uh, spend some time with your your always working wife. Um, <laughs> before you go, did you want to plug anything? Did you want to plug the app? Plug um, Kovadonga? <laughs> social media yeah well look out for Covidanga um I will you know check my twitter is beach pillows it's at beach pillows or you could search my name which is Sean Hartophilus um you know you could find somebody online if you want to right just search my name yeah um and um uh, look forward to getting beach uh Covidanga out please see beach pillows if you haven't uh if you're in America download the howl app howl alert will get get you to it fastest um, that's it, man. I, I, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk and, um, yeah, let me know if you're ever in New York. I have a cousin, my cousin Ursula and her husband Callum are in Australia right now. Oh, okay. Um, so yeah. And I think my cousin Annie is with them. So, um, maybe I'll, where, where are you right now? Where are you in Australia? I'm in Adelaide, South Australia. Damn. That sounds like it's beautiful. I don't even know that I'm familiar at all with that. How close are you to one of the big cities? Um, so it's a, you know, it's like a one hour flight to Melbourne, couple of hours to Sydney. Wow. So like, we're talking about flights. Yeah. So eight, eight hour drive to Melbourne. Wow, man. That's awesome. Is, yeah. it, is it like crazy beautiful where you are? Um, I mean, I live, I live in the city, so it's just like a city. <laughs> it's so a, Adelaide is a city? Yeah, it's a it's a small city. I think it's like a million people. That's not small. I'm just ignorant. <laughs> it's it's one of the smaller capital cities in Australia, but um 
it reminds me of maybe like um, Boston a little bit. Like it's still pretty green cool. in the city. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll ask my cousin about it and uh, tell her to give you a shout if, if she's in town. But um, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, get, let me know if you're in New York. I'd love to meet up. Um, really appreciate Psych that you're getting into this and it seems like and don't uh, you know it seems like you're putting yourself out there from something that was a comfort zone to like uh well something that you're super interested in but also that you you're really eager to learn about and i mean that that's possible so um really uh enjoyed it appreciate it uh thank you so much for uh coming on and i'll be i'll be in contact and hopefully i'll be over in the in the states in maybe another six to twelve months That'd be awesome, Clay. I uh, look forward to all that. Um, yeah, be in touch, and uh, thanks for everything, man. Thank you. No one is gonna make it work on time, and no one wants to set me free. Why don't the boss go ahead and just fire me now? Johnny's got a bottle of wine. Oh my God! That was a dope episode i told you it was gonna be you didn't listen maybe you did you are my stewies after all um i don't steer you wrong i never steer you wrong i am i'm giving you the tools you need to pass the final exam and sean hartophilus is like a cheat sheet to that exam listen to the greatness that was that episode man this this app i would bro i would use that i would use that because like i said on the episode like there's there's like the life um ah shit life assist thing or whatever like when you've when old people fall and they like fucking press the button on their neck and shit but like but like if if there is like um Someone like goes into your house and you, you get an alert on your phone or if you're in your house so your alarm isn't set, you can call for help if you can hear someone downstairs and you're upstairs or whatever. You can, instead of calling the cops, bang, bang, you can you can hit the, uh, the first responders or whatever it was. I love that idea. I think that's very lucrative and I think that is going to be successful. And I might even get back to Sean and see if I can get a little piece of that pie. You know what I mean? I fucking like that. Um, man, we talked a lot about beach pillows. And um, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. Clay, you're going to talk about beach pillows for like a whole hour with Sean. And you're not going to tell us what your Clay's review was. Well, my Stewie, that's why you are my protege. And I am the master. I am the PhD of podcasting and Money Maker Mitch is going to take us to Clay's Reviews. Comedy, action, or horror? Will this movie win an Oscar? Set design, directing, acting, lighting, or costumes? This segment is Clay's Reviews. All right, yo, like beach pillars? I'm telling you. Um, that, that shit was... Um, like I'm not completely across the actors. So, um, Jeffrey Arend, I believe is his name. And, um, 
shit. Money making Mitch, can you put, pull that up on um, IMDb or whatever? Madaba. Madaba. Bro, I was in uh, I was in fucking Bali when I watched this, um, because I was trying to. This this interview was actually supposed to happen while I was in Bali. And the fucking uh, internet connection was so bad that Sean couldn't hear me. I could hear him perfectly, but he couldn't hear me. So I had to, we had to postpone that, that uh, interview for two weeks. Um, but so I watched it while I was there to prepare for the interview. So it was, it was a couple of weeks. So I didn't, um, I, I remember in that interview, I didn't quite remember the picture of the little cameo, um, of Sean in the movie, but, um, when I watched this, I, um, I just felt, I felt so much, man, like, that that seems so ambiguous, but like I felt every everything that happened like was something I could relate to from experience, you know, and like I feel like anybody who watched it could relate to it. Um, even with the the idea for the beach pillows is like I said in the interview, I think a dope idea, but um, like we've all had those conversations with our friend, like, Oh, I've got this awesome like business idea, right? Like, especially if you're on Coke jokes, 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 jokes. We don't do, we don't advocate drugs, but you know what I'm talking about? Like business ideas and all of this is something that we, we've had that conversation with friends. We've been cheated on, right? We've, um, you know, we've had altercations with our friends, with our family. We've been lost in in where we're going. We've wanted to do one thing, but we've been pulled in another direction and we're trying to get back on track. It's all happened. We've all got too drunk and made a fool of ourselves. It's all happened. I was relating to all that, right? Which is, which is what you want in a film, right? So it may seem simple, but it all, it all comes back around, which is which is the hard part of writing. And I forgot to tell Sean that I actually had written the script once. So Sean, if you're listening, uh, here's a little bit more of information. I wrote a screenplay in, uh, I don't know, 2012 or 2013, or, you know, around that time period, 2011 to 2013. Um, and when it was finished, I started to show a couple of people and they liked it and they were like, oh, that's really funny. Um, the name of it was Paranormal Blacktivity. Guess what came out the year that I finished my script? A Haunted House by the fucking Wayans Brothers. Yes. I was on the right track with my idea, it would seem. Um, but I was too late. I was too late. Anyway, going back. Dude, so this is this is Sean's uh first feature film, I believe. I believe cuz I mean, from what I could see in my my research and from our conversation that we had, this is the first feature film and he scores Jeffrey Arend 
as as the main character Morgan, and Vin uh uh Vinny 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 Vincent Cartizer, I think that's how you say his surname. I don't know, but he's in Mad Men as um Sean said. So he scores these dope um actors as the main the main like two friends um and they bounce off each other so well um the dude jeffrey wren's look like just yeah his look just i don't know it 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 worked so well it worked so well for the character he looked a little bit and no disrespect to jeffrey wren man but he looked a bit disheveled he looked tired as we would say on on welcome to the party he looked like shit dude but he his character was that you know i loved that um i loved the yeah i loved the way it was shot i every every shot seemed to be shot in a specific way um, now, like to, to give meaning, um, you know, if you, great example, two great examples. One, if you go and watch the trailer, you will see Jeffrey Oren, he's like, he's like floating, um, above the pool, which is like, what, what is that? Like, that's like the shot that every indie movie has to have, right? But then, but it is pivotal. It's a pivotal moment right there because it's, he needs to let his goose loose. And if you don't understand what I'm saying, you need to see the movie. And if you, if you have seen the movie, you understand that his goose does get let loose, man. Um, and also the shot that we talked about in the, the, um, the interview with Sean where uh, is the it's the um, continuous shot from behind and um, Morgan gets slapped by his mom and oh the way Sean said it in the interview saying that um, it, you know sometimes the hand that ah uh, shit I don't remember the quote so I'm just going to butcher it um Sometimes the hand that that like pushes you need needs to be a human one. Okay? You get you get it from what I said. But that that shit, man, I loved that shit. And I loved the like you know, the change of lighting. Um, you know, there's low points there's low points shot in like dingy lighting, like in the bar when he makes a fool of himself. Um and then, you know, starts to get, it starts to get brighter. Like when, um, Vinny shows up at the hearing and, uh, spoiler alert when, um, the sun, the sun's shining in the final shot. I don't know if that's really a spoiler. That's pretty ambiguous, but yeah, I don't know, man. I, to be honest, I have to give. I have to give Beach Pillows, I have to give it a 7.5 out of 10. 
um, the the way I think I think the way everything came together in the end and the uh, the the message uh, that that Sean explained better than I could repeat right now um, it all it was a feel good it was a, it was a rough ride man it was a rough ride but it was a feel good um, ending and it was I don't know I thought it was well crafted and um, I think the story was told well. Um, it was, how do I say? It was well articulated, narrated by no one, but, um, but it felt like Morgan was telling the story as he was a writer. I don't know. It's very late. It's very late at night right now. And my brain, my brain is not working. All I know is that um, I felt, I don't know, at the end of that movie, I felt like I had got a bunch of shit off my chest <laughs> just from watching it. I recommend it. 7.5 out of 10 for your first feature film is fucking huge. I give some of like these big cats 7.5s out of 10 on a weekly basis. So, um... You cats should see this and I would keep an eye out for Kovadonga because um, I think I think Sean Hartoffelis is onto something. He has uh, some very good inspirations, some very, uh, some, uh, what would you say? Some, some high goals, sky high goals, but uh, reachable, reachable because um, that, that movie, man, that, that showed, you know, how you see, uh, like a little kid bowling at the park and you're like, he's, he's got it. He's going to, um, he's the next, he's going to be the next, uh, the next Mike or whatever, you know, I, uh, from watching that movie, I felt that, um, and I actually didn't realize until after I'd watched the movie that that was Sean's first feature film. And I actually just figured that he had uh, mad practice before that because that that shit looked like um, that shit looked like a veteran a veteran had made that. So I was impressed, man. I was impressed, and I think you will be too if you watch it. So go and watch that. Um, I hope you enjoyed. I hope you enjoyed that episode because um, I know I did. I was like fucking man. I was so excited to get to get Sean on, and when the fucking internet wasn't working in the hotel, I was like I couldn't sleep, and I was like I like kept Rachel up all night. I'm like, yo, what if what if I can't get him back on now? What if he thinks this is an amateur operation? You know, what if, what if that was my window and I've missed it? And she's just like, will you shut the fuck up and go to sleep? Everything's going to be fine. And it was, it was, it took two weeks and I was, I had anxiety for two weeks, but it happened and I fucking felt like I was friends with him, man. He was so easy to talk to. And I'm sure you can feel that, uh, in the interview. Cause that, oh man. I, I, I'm fanboying right now, so I'm going to shut the fuck up 
Um, and I want you, everybody listening, all of you, and I see the numbers rising. Money Maker Mitch sends me a report every week telling me how many people are listening and the numbers are rising. So you, my stewies, are doing your homework, but you need to do it again and again and again to earn your degree as a podcast graduate. So tell a friend to tell a friend, um, watch Beach Pillows, follow Sean on um, his socials, just Google his name, Sean Hartophilus, the name of this episode, S Hartophilus on Instagram, I believe, and um, at Beach Pillows on Twitter, follow him, um, and watch beach pillows and try and try and purchase it if you can, uh, and support Sean and try to, I think it's on Vimeo. Actually, he said Vimeo search beach pillows on Vimeo and, um, Oh, what else? Tell, tell a friend to tell a friend about beach pillows. Tell a friend to tell a friend about welcome to the party, about welcome to the party too. I mean, you, welcome to the party, you, WTTPU. Enroll now. That means subscribe. And um, start heading to class. That means listen. And do your homework. That means tell a friend to tell a friend. How much can a man say the same thing over and over again? Um, that is... That is an experiment that I've been doing, um, apparently, on on this outro. So I'm gonna I'm gonna close my mouth, and I'm gonna see you guys on Saturday. I hope you guys have a safe and fun week. And bang bang.